Hello, welcome back to Unseeded. This is episode Hi. 14. I think it should be slightly better than last week because I'm getting used to the new schedule of actually having a job. Hmm. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm great. <laughs> I've realised at the start of all of our podcasts, we never actually sort of say our names. <laughs> oh, I think they know by now. They should. I don't know because we barely mention them. That's I'm true. wrong. Oh, it's in the description. I'm fair. There we go. That's good. But no, it's, I just realised we never really <laughs> we say our names. It's, it's mentioned in the description. So I just thought maybe we should <laughs> say it. But yes, so obviously Madrid has happened. Yeah, it yes. has. It has. That week and a half long event, because that's what all Masters 1000 events are now. Stupid. Did you watch, shall we start off with the WCA? We're just going to do the finals because I had to catch up with everything because of work and I couldn't be bothered to catch up with the semi-finals as well as the finals. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. I mean... No. It's hard having a real job. Yeah, welcome to the real life. Being unemployed was actually very good for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> Um, but yes, anyway, so the Madrid WTA final, um, Sabalenka defeated Sviantek 6-3, 3-6, The head-to-head is still led by Sviantek 5-3. And it is obviously a repeat of the Stuttgart final a few weeks back, which was won by Sviantek 6-3, 6-4. It was a very, very, it was a very good match. Yeah, it was. I mean, what can you expect from them? Like, yeah, no, it was a very good match. It, it very much went in waves as well, because obviously after the first set, you had Sviantek take a three-love lead, then Sabalenka to draw it level, then Sviantek to win the next three games, then yeah. Sabalenka <laughs> to take a three-love lead, then Sviantek brings it level, and then Sabalenka wins the next three games. It was really fun. Yeah, it was. I just, I just um, really like them both. I was, um, I will say, I think it was Sviatek your prediction. Sviatek was my prediction, yeah. Yeah, I think I was rooting for Savalenka just to like have some fairness, you know, because Sviatek just won the Porsche one. So I was like, okay. I mean, I think it would be nice if you know this time Savalenka doesn't get it. But Sviatek was I mean, so I, sad. I, I, thought, I thought you were going to be like, I was rooting for Savalenka just because I don't like you and your prediction. No. <laughs> no, I mean, I, did, I didn't I did want you to get both right, obviously, because uh, Alcaraz did win. Um, but no, I just thought it would be like really nice. But I saw like the press conference and of both of them. And Sviatek was so sad. She was. She looked like devastated. I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Yeah, I think I, that's one thing I've noticed by Sviantek this year is when she loses, she gets really sort of phased by it. A couple of times she's lost this year when she's lost by straight sets. She's got really frustrated, like got time violations, had arguments with umpires, this sort of stuff. I mean, and obviously she was really devastated by this result. So uh, you can clearly see that a losing sort of affects her quite a lot. But then it is interesting as well because you've got like I would say Clay generally favours Sviontek in this matchup. Yeah. But obviously in the Madrid is slightly different. The Madrid conditions are different because it's played at altitude, which benefits well, Sabalenka because it allows you to hit the ball harder and faster. Um Yeah. And she was goes... complaining also about like the times of the matches. I think she played a match and she finished playing at like 1am which she did mention at, at the ceremony um, in front of Feliciano who was the director of the tournament um, so I think that, I think yeah like you say obviously it's not great for her but someone asked her this question and she was like I'm not going to pretend you know it's the circumstances like she was just better we we well played really well, which they did, obviously. Um, but like Savalenka in the end, just like was better, which I thought was a very good answer. Um, mm. So yeah, she she doesn't think it's. And to be fair, it's not necessarily the conditions because I mean, all year we've seen Sviantek having issues with 
big flat hitters because it sort of started at the United Cup where she got beaten by Pagula 6-2-6-2. She's had multiple losses to Rabakina and now she's lost to Sabalenka. All hit hard and flat. But yeah, one thing that is really fascinating between Sabalenka and Suyante is... I mean, obviously, they do have contrasting styles. I think it was most. It was more apparent in this final than it was in Stuttgart. There was definitely you could really tell the difference between like Sabalenka sort of just trying to like really like fine margins tennis, like really going for the like winners and like really like shot placement is in like there's such a fine margin of error, which is why when it falls apart, it falls apart so dramatically. Whereas Sviontek was really playing defensive for a lot of this match. Yeah. But yeah, and and I suppose that's sort of something different between when we've had... Because obviously, if we think about the the WTA finals we've had this year, the sort of notable ones are earlier on we had Rabakina, Sabalenka, Australia, Indian Wells, obviously. Sviontek Krachikova was in there. And... But then... Now we've had a couple of finals between uh, Sviontek and Sabalenka. Is is one thing that's interesting because I know there was talk of it being a big three, wasn't there? Obviously, mm. I think everyone's just really wanting a big three again <laughs> somewhere. In I know they just keep like <laughs> trying to find it everywhere. Um, but yeah, you have obviously uh, like the thing is like the Sabalenka Rabatkina finals are fascinating in a way. Because despite the fact that the sort of they both hit similar kind of balls, they're produced in very different manners. Back in an easy power, Sabalenka just throwing everything into every shot. Whereas obviously now watching Sabalenka Sviante finals, it's it's a real contrast in style as well. Just found that quite interesting and it's fun to watch. I mean, I would like to see I really do want to see Rabakina against uh Sviantec on clay that would fascinate yeah. me i i think Sviantec will, will have an advantage she's just like a clay player isn't she yeah. she's defending the french open this year hmm. but so she's, not I just, think... she's not just a clay player like no, she but... will be defending the us open like, no i know but she's well at least for me she's the most the most clay Per- yeah, yeah. Person yeah. in the WTA? Because who else mm. is like really good at clay? Yeah, no. I mean, Sabalenka's got a couple of Madrids now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but she's not, I wouldn't say she's like a clay. Oh, well, I don't know. It's weird because, like, I think with, well, with a lot of tennis players, but especially with women, you usually see them develop quite later on, you know? Like yeah. Raducanu, like she was very young, like Leila Fernandez, they, they were very young when they reached the final and stuff. But usually they're not like like Alcaraz or Nadal who were like started very young and no, were like I, I would say it's the other way around. No. I would say there's more like re- like more young champions on the WTA side than there are on the ATP side. No, but I mean not just champions, like consistent champions. Because obviously you can you can win one or two tournaments or whatever, but like to get to a level where you are like yeah, but get to a good level. I mean, Tracy Austin, uh, Maria Sharapova. Yeah, I mean the Williams sisters were both pretty young. Yeah, but now <laughs> to get, I mean, talking about now, not like Sviontek many years ago. Sviantek's not that young. She was 19 when she won her first slam. And then the next year, she got to. The, she was the only player to get to the round of 16 of every slam. Well, yeah. But I was thinking, like, more Ostapenko, you know? Who, like, won very young and then, like, kind of drizzled Yeah, out. but that's... The, I, I think that period of the WTA has just got to be discounted. Because, the dark like, just ages. M- mad things happened all the time. It's like, because I mean, Sloane Stevens. Yeah. She won the US Open, and I'm pretty sure she got to a Roland Garros final. Also, what's the other, the Canadian? What does she do now? Andrescu. No, no, no. Andrescu's not included in this because I think she's still got that level, but injuries. 
Yeah, but I mean, it's the same. It's, when it, you doesn't watch matter, fight, it doesn't like, matter wow. the reason why they're not performing anymore. It's just they're not performing anymore. Because, because Andrescu as well, not only did she win the US Open that year, she did also win Indian Wells. So it wasn't like just like a very brief flash in a pan. Yeah, but where is she now? She is 23 in the world or something like that. Yeah, but she's not playing. That's she's playing saying. in Rome. Is she? Is she well? She played in Madrid. Yeah, but what? What? Where did she get? Oh, she went out in the first round, but oh. she was coming back from injury. It's fine. I know, but like, I don't know. I think you've made a point, and you can't back it up because it was. <laughs> Gonna die on that point. hill. Yeah. It wasn't a rubbish point. The Rivakina is quite young, though. So. Yeah. But yeah, no, it was a really good match. There was, it was very exciting when it, because it took four championship points. They were all very exciting. Um, some really good tennis there. I don't know. I've, I've, I've got here written down a question that I feel like should be asked is, does this give us any insight into Roland Garros? Because at the end of the day, that's what matters. Because I think this, this is the problem with WTA clay court tennis is that the events that you think about, you've got Charleston green clay in the US, which is a unicorn on a skateboard. <laughs> then you've got Stuttgart, which is indoors, Madrid, which is at altitude. So the only one that's really similar to French Open that gives you an insight is Rome. It's like... The only thing that I think it will impact is that now Sabalenka knows that she can beat Fiontech on clay. But then the clay in France is very different to the clay in Madrid. Yeah, I don't think you're ever going to get like two tournaments that are like exactly the same. Because also like even if you win, um, even if someone like, I don't know, Alcaraz wins uh, Rome, doesn't necessarily mean he's going <laughs> to... He's gonna win because I think what sets Grand Slams apart is like the pressure, you know. Because everyone's like, "Oh, this is a Grand Slam." Like, if you're like playing a, a, a like ATP five hundred or like thousand or whatever, you're like, I mean, this is obviously major, but it's not like it's not gonna ruin my life, you know. If you're mm. playing a Grand Slam, I think that pressure is what matters the most than like the conditions or whatever, because you're like especially when you're at a certain level where that that pressure is not only from you but like from the public like i would i would like to see how alcaraz performs um in roland garros because i don't know he doesn't seem to be faced by pressure you know but he's still so young so might be a little bit of like that recklessness of young people one thing I did think when I was going back through the, um, we'll get back to this later, obviously. But one thing I did think when I was watching the 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 men's final was that sort of noticeably in the first set when he was sort of coming up to like closing out and everything, it did seem like he was being affected by the pressure of winning that tournament because not only obviously Spanish in Madrid. But yeah. also defending champion. Like I, f- I feel like it was it was a little bit noticeable, because um, I I think in like I I think it was when it was Miami that there were a, sort of a few moments there where Alcaraz just got really rubbish at closing out <laughs> sets and matches, which I suppose he's always told us to compare him to Federer over Nadal. And that is very Federer. It is, unfortunately. <laughs> um, I don't know. I just, I I don't feel it as much as like with Roger. I think it was quite obvious. Mm. With Al- I mean, he's just so, he's got so many things from so many players that maybe, yeah, maybe that's like a thing for him. It just doesn't, doesn't feel like it. Because I think um, in this case, this final, uh, Struff, is that his name? Um, the opponent? Jan Lennart Struff. <laughs> yeah. He was playing really well. Like, yeah. he, like, 
it's amazing to me that this is like his first like big final because he mm. was like he had a, an amazing tournament obviously but he was like really performing he was doing your beloved um seven volley like he was matching alcaraz's level like he was like showing him a little bit of his own medicine you know like um and it was amazing he was so aggressive yeah should we i would just given that we're now just talking about this final i'll just yeah obviously just wrap up of like the wta one very good for sabalenka is actually her second madrid and it is the second time she's defeated the world number one in the final so impressive gives her confidence for roland garros um, just quickly, do we think we can now call this a proper rivalry between Sabalenka and Siontek? Yes. Or do we do we need more time? I think this is enough. Okay. I think do we say that Rebacula could be included in this discussion? Yeah. I or... sure hope so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I think we cannot include her just yet, but okay. I think this probably this year it will like develop yeah. into. Part of me is just hoping. Shabur uh, gets added to that mix at some point as well. Oh, I know, I miss her. I just want her to win at least one Wimbledon. I just wanted her to win at least one Grand yeah. Slam. But yeah, okay, so we sort of semi-started the discussion of the men's final in Madrid, where Alcaraz defeated Jan Lennart Struff, 6-4, <laughs> 3-6, 6-3. So one person... Our former guest host, uh, Dennis, has asked for a shout out on this one because prior to this tournament, he had been predicting to me a good run by Jan Leonard Struff. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, I think he sort of. Yeah, no, I think he was. I don't think he quite sort of pictured Jan Leonard Struff in the final. I'm sure he would say (laughs) otherwise now. Um, but yeah, he, he, he picked out uh, Jan Lennard-Struff as someone to go on a run somewhere like here or, or later on at Roland Garros. Oh. Um, but yeah, no, so... Uh, That's a good prediction. Good. Well done, is, Dennis. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm fully expecting. We're obviously going to do like proper predictions for Roland Garros, so I'll get like a table sorted. Yeah. We can all put in our quarterfinals, semis and finals picks. I 100% know that on both um, men's and women's side that Dennis is going to be picking some rogue, rogue names. Um, well, I'm going to play it safe, probably. <laughs> well, yeah, you're seemingly just going to pick the top eight seed. <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll probably do some little predictions for Rome. Um, I've already got like a, a bit of a rogue one for the men's side in my head. Oh gosh, well finally, a rogue yeah. one. You played it safe for this tournament. Yeah, I mean, you've got to balance it, haven't you? Because <laughs> <laughs> there's a reason why the top seeds are the top seeds. <laughs> True. And also, um, like, well, now with the women being so consistent, like... I know. We cannot do, like, more a, consistent a than the prediction, men. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, apart from if Alcaraz is fully fit. Yeah. Um, Okay, so, uh, yeah, on Amazon Prime, they were um, suggesting that uh, nefarious activities were up. <laughs> were up what? Um, so they were basically, uh, they suggested that the court had been watered more than they normally would before this final. Oh. Because obviously, Jan and Schruff being a servant volley, suits a faster court. Mm. So Madrid as a clay court tournament works quite well for him because it's one of the faster clay court tournaments out there. So, so they were suggesting that they'd actually watered the court more than like twice or something just before the match because that slows down the ball. That's a bit crazy. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not I mean, sure. I don't, I and wouldn't, it, it doesn't sound insane to me because I mean, did you see the whole cake fiasco? Oh, Kate Gate. Yes, we should mention Kate Gate, shouldn't we? I feel like I get it that Alcaraz is Spanish and it's Madrid and whatever, but it does feel like they are like just treating him like a king and everyone else like, oh yeah, whatever. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I think what do we think should happen? Should we think Sabalenka should get a bigger cake or uh, Alcaraz should get a smaller? I think 100% Alcaraz should get a much smaller cake because he's a professional tennis player at the end of the day. He's a professional athlete. He should not <laughs> yeah. be eating that much cake. <laughs> I mean, I think a smaller cake for Alcaraz and a bigger for Sabalenka. If you're going to make a big deal out of it, 
Like just yeah. medium cake for both, maybe? I don't know. I think and to then, be fair, Sabalenka's cake was big enough. It was just Alcaraz's cake was huge. Yeah, but they were they like Sabalenka, they was like just oh yeah, here's some cake. With Alcaraz, they made a huge deal about it. Yeah, they brought basically the it, it the amount of people it that was came like a out birthday party. It, it was it was like when uh Wilfred Songer, um Joe Wilfred Songer uh retired at the French Open last year yeah. and they brought out everyone he'd ever met. Yeah. And then did you see Feliciano Lopez was defending this decision on Twitter? I, and he was I, so upset about it. <laughs> I, I didn't I didn't delve too deeply into Kate Gate if I'm being honest. I did I find it so funny. It was so like <laughs> ridiculous as well. And also so weird that both of them ended up winning the tournament, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like freak. Well, they've been putting some magical stuff in that cake. Yeah, probably. Well, no, because like Sabalenka mentioned the cake in her um speech, Yeah, in her speech. She? But I like I think people took it as like both Sabalenka and Sviatek taking like digs at Feliciano because they were like mm. mentioning like controversial things about about the tournament. And and he didn't look ha- like he was like To be fair, where what what you what Sviatek was saying about like match scheduling. I mean, that's just a tennis problem everywhere. That's yeah, just that's true. tennis not knowing how to effectively market itself. <laughs> yeah, um, I think I think people have come to expect it, but I also think like it must be really hard as a player because it's, it's it's such so like stupid. bad luck, you know? Yeah, like you play it's... at two, till one a.m. one day, and your opponent got to like rest. It's obviously going to affect how you play, you know? It's not fair. No, it's not fair. It's very stupid, but it will always happen because tennis refuses to ever learn. No, Feliciano, though. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's all Feliciano's fault. It's not. It's not. (laughs) But yeah, so, I mean, sort of more generally about Alcaraz, it is interesting, I do find, sort of going back through the tournament and including the final, is really his two toughest matches were against, first against Rusevori and then Struff. Because when he played some of the higher seeds, well, some yeah, of the seeded players, he just, yeah, he, yeah, I mean, he just rolled through them. Got through, um, obviously, there was... Uh, I'm just trying to recall it off the top of my head. I should have written these down, but I didn't. <laughs> Dimitrov, um, Hachinov, and Zverev. Zverev, who he just coasted through. Um, interestingly, in the live... Oh, yeah, uh, Chorich. Um, in, interestingly, in the live rankings, Jan Lennart Struff is now the German number one. What? <laughs> but really? that's because the point... I think it's because the points have dropped off from Rome... Um, so it is possible that, um, Zverev, if he defends his points from oh. last year, officially never drops below German number one. But yeah, Jan Leonard Struff is, is within a shout of being the German number one going into Roland Garros. That's exciting. Yeah. Also, uh, Alcaraz is going to return to world number one as, as long as he plays Rome. Uh, well, he has to win the match. Yeah, but I mean, he will probably. But that's that was the problem. I predicted him to win Madrid, and then he played Rusevori in the first round, and then he gave me the nerves. Uh, <laughs> he gave me the jitters. Well, let's here's the hope that he will. <laughs> yeah. No, to be fair, sort of Rusevori and Struff, he did. I think he's showing a lot of maturity now, and like because he had to make adjustments to beat these guys hmm. because Rusevori was like redlining it sort of early on in that match. And then Struff was, obviously, as you say, playing the best form of tennis there is, which is the Amazing. servant body. Um, <laughs> and he was, I, I, and to be fair as well, he was really aggressive on the returns. Like he was taking um, second serve returns from inside the baseline. Yeah. And going up to the net straight away. His coverage of like the, you know, the net and like the court, it was amazing. I was like, yeah. go on, boy. Like That's fantastic. Yeah. Show us, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I t- uh, the thing is as well, so uh, before we just like wax lyrical about how great Carlos Alcaraz is as a tennis player, which I feel like we do a lot, but it's sort of quite hard because he sort of wins a lot. Yeah. Um, and But uh, shout out to Jan and Ashraf, obviously 
could become German number one, but he is the first lucky loser to reach a Masters final. Um, oh yeah, I didn't even know about the whole so lucky loser thing. I, let's I let's explain realized... it for people who don't know. I, so, um, basic. I, the way I understand lucky losers working, I could be pointed out as not having basically when there's spots to fill in the draw, like withdrawals and stuff like that. Um, or they just, yeah, I don't know how they actually pick um, who gets to be a lucky loser. I think it's the highest um, seed. Maybe like, or yeah. I think what I'm, I read. Or is it yeah. just who hasn't gone home yet? <laughs> <laughs> who can we catch before they take their flight? No, because as I... well. So um, in the semi-final, it was Jan Leonard Struff against Aslan Karatsev, and it was Aslan Karatsev who beat Jan Leonard Struff in the qualifying. That is so wacky, yeah. No, but as like what I understand is that if there's like one withdrawal or they have like one spot to fill then they will give it to like the the highest ranked person mm. if there's two or more then i think they pick like the top three or top four or whatever and then they i don't know if it's a draw or something but like from that they take like if it's just one then there's just one person but if it's two i think they'll pick like it's, I, it should be a draw, whoever it is. Like, literally, they just pick anyone that's lost at any stage of qualifying just because that that really makes it the lucky loser, doesn't it? You've got I all think... these players that lost and there's one spot and you just go, it will I think, be him. I think picking the, the highest seed is just like playing it safe because obviously, statistically, you know, it means they're going to perform better than, you know, the yeah. lowest one. But it's it's really interesting though because he's the first one to reach a, a final since 1990. Yeah. So it's lucky indeed. But yeah. Anyway, should we? Yeah. No. And now now we get to talk about how great Carlos Alcaraz is. It's the way he just understands his abilities so perfectly and just plays the right shots like yeah. basically all the time like it's because you often find yourself as like someone watching tennis a lot where you're sitting there watching a tennis player and then you're like oh well they should have done that or it's like but because it's easy when you're watching it to be critical because you're it's completely different watching than doing and you're just sitting there like oh that was the wrong shot that was the wrong decision oh and then you're thinking, oh, he needs to go down the line here. And then they don't. They play it safe cross court. And then, it, whereas it's like when you're watching Alcaraz, he's at no point do you ever think that because you're like, no, he's made the right decision there. He always does. Yeah. And yeah, I, I think, think. And there's an argument where he's got like the most technically perfect drop shot. <laughs> he loves drop shots. But they're so good. Yeah, because he keeps doing them. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> At some point, like, yeah. Why would you stop it. doing them? Because he wins so many points. Yeah, I think that's There needs the thing to be some him. sort of competition to see who has the better drop shot on Shabur or Carlos Alcaraz. <laughs> oh, we fun much. No, I, I do think that's the thing about Alcaraz, that he's he's got so many things at his disposal, you know? Like, he can do so many things so well that... You can't really, you know, be mad at him for like doing like the drop shots because, like, it's it's like what I was saying. Like, you know, he's gonna do them because it's like the moment to do them. It's not he's not just like doing it just because. Like, whatever he does, it sounds it seems very very planned, and mm. like it's appropriate. And I think that's what's very interesting about seeing him play because even when he's losing, like he just adjust his game like he's got that uh capacity it's not just like his physicality you know that he's like a very like strong player and he's obviously very he's like an adult he just he will reach any ball but also like his ability to adapt to like others games and just like manage to dominate and like set the pace of the of the match which is ultimately what's gonna make you win the the whole thing that's the thing i do think like 
I, I think as well, like he's somewhat like I know he's just won a another tournament, but I just feel like there are there's little bits that you can like if you're like a top player, so maybe like a Novak Djokovic playing really well, you can beat Alcaraz. But like with with like his understanding of his game and knowing exactly what his strengths are, like with the movement, as you're saying, like he just gets to every ball. I just think in two years' time, what's going to stop him? Yeah. Now, it's really interesting because obviously he's like really good, you know, but also like the timing is kind of perfect because he's not facing, you know, Roger at his best or Nadal at his best or Djokovic at his best, which would have been very, um, you know, like amazing matches, you know, because seeing them like play him and seeing them having to adapt their games, like... Nadal playing so similar to him and Roger playing so different. It would have been like just really nice to watch. And right now, even if you do see Nadal playing him or Djokovic, it's not the same, you know, because they're not like at their best, whereas he he is at at his best. Um, So I think with him, it's also like this timing stuff that obviously he's really good, but you, you see him play all of these players who are not top, like the big three. And then you're, he seems even larger than life you know because because next to them he's like amazing but next to like amazing players what what would that look like you know well i think he the thing yeah that's the thing he's he's come through at the perfect time because he can still play them he's not going to beat them every time but like he, he got beaten by nadal last year at indian wells two years ago at madrid yeah and but then he beat Nadal at Madrid and Djokovic at Madrid last year and he's a bit yeah so he sort of he's come for a great time so because he like because they're not playing every tournament so he does get to go into tournaments as the number one seed and not have to play them win the tournament get that that gives you confidence so when you come up against these great players it's like I've already done it I just have to beat them this time and the problem was as well, I think the big three, which is why it ruined the sort of next gen crop of players. So Zverev, Medvedev, to a lesser extent, but, but I mean, yeah. that Australian it's Open final ruined Medvedev for about Same. a year. Yeah, these players. And also, I mean, let's not even get into the generation of your Dimitrovs and stuff. Um, <laughs> it's because. Another generation. <laughs> it, it, it's because, like. I mean, the issue there is like you get to a quarterfinal, you're playing, I don't know, Nadal. You get to the semi final, well done, you knocked out Nadal. Oh, you got to play Djokovic. And if you somehow manage to get through that, it's like, oh, I'm in the final, I'm playing Roger Federer. Like, you'd have to beat all three of them. <laughs> yeah. No, what, what a time, honestly. Like, it was amazing for us as viewers, but as a player, it must have been so frustrating. Because even if you were actually good, you know, mm-hmm. it was like impossible to beat. And like you say, maybe you would beat one of them, but having to go through like all of them all the time, that's just, yeah, that's what breaks a person. Which is why I yeah. think with Alcaraz, obviously he's amazingly talented. I mean, we've established that he's great. But at the same time, it is a bit lucky for him to be playing in this like stage of life. Um because yes, Nadal is still playing, but he's so injured that, and he's not he's not the Nadal he was in like you know ten years ago. And the same with Djokovic. I mean, he's he's yes better than Nadal and Federer like physically, but still he's not you know he's not doing like his his best right now. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I just I find that obviously. We'll never know, but I just really wish we could see that, like one of those matches. It would be so interesting. Maybe one day AI technology will be strong (laughs) enough that you could essentially generate a match between peak Alcaraz and peak Federer. I really think that would be possible, you know? That would be so cool. That's that's what people need to focus on. Like, just these hypothetical tennis matches. Yeah, you don't need all this AI for, like, the nefarious stuff that people do, like your deep fakes, your sort of dodgy things. Yeah, what's the point of that? Yeah, you need it to basically produce tennis matches that 
have never actually happened. Like, why not put up peak Steffi Graf against peak Serena Williams? Oh my gosh. Why not make a Wimbledon 2008 where Roger wins? Yeah. That would be amazing. Or maybe why not make a Wimbledon 2019 where Roger Federer converts oh, one of his gosh. two championship Stop points? Stop it, I'm going to cry. That's too much now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, your memory, as I remember talking about, your memories from that day weren't particularly special. No, that, it was horrible. But um, anyway, coming back to better things, Alcaraz is actually the second man to defend uh, his title in Madrid. Do you know who the first one was? I mean, that was everywhere. It's Rafael Nadal. <laughs> Another I mean, comparison he doesn't be? want. <laughs> no, but who else would it be? Because realistically, like, obviously, Madrid when it was originally like an indoor hardcore at the end of the year yeah and then and then it became clay and obviously when it became clay it's just like oh it's just nadal it's like they just made it so he could win something else <laughs> yeah although roger federer is the only player to have won it on all three surfaces so indoor hardcore clay of course and then blue is. clay <laughs> Because I mean, the, the blue clay, one of the many gimmicks, also using models as the ball girls. Oh, what? Oh, it be, basically the guy that ran um, uh, Madrid for a, quite a while, I think his name, Eon Tiriak, he uh, basically just had a succession of mad ideas and <laughs> used models as ball girls. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Sounds like something uh, Donald Trump would do. It's just weird and gimmicky. And I don't like the sort of weird and gimmicky thing. I think the, the thing that's wrong is like specifically looking for a certain type of bold people, you know? Mm. If you're going to be like, oh, I only want like hot women to be bold people. I, I don't want to call them bold kids because that's weird. But, you know, like that's then that's weird. Like. I don't know what merits you need <laughs> to become like a bold person, but um, I don't think hotness should be one of the main, you know, attributes because that's not <laughs> important. And also, like, yeah, maybe it can even be distracting. So, not not a good idea. More significant thing is women's doubles final. There was no trophy ceremony and there's no speech afterwards. Mm. They also okay. didn't play on the main stadium, I don't believe. Bizarre. Um, but anyway, moving on from Madrid, we've now got to talk about another champion. Roger. Andy Murray. <laughs> so after losing to Vavasori in the first round of Madrid, he took a wild card for Aix-en-Provence. Challenger, one two, five event. Um, You're so in the, proud. In in the opening round, he played a returning Gael Monfils. Huh. Yeah, and he played other Frenchmen until he got to the final. Semi-final, he beat Luca Van Asch, who is French. But then in the final, he played Tommy Paul, who's not French. Hmm. And he won the title. He won 2-6-6-1-6-2. It's his first title since 2019. So, yeah. I don't, from... Sort of what I understand, I don't think he's got like significant. He just like wants to play the French Open because he doesn't know it. Like, you don't know when his last of that will be. But it seems like he's just trying to keep match fit because he thinks he's gonna. He can still challenge for Wimbledon, which would be nice. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. He said that last year though, and he lost to John Isner. So. Yeah, I don't know. What's Andy Murray's plan for, like, life? Is he just playing because it's fun? I don't know. I think he'll be... I, will he ever retire? Uh, I think he doesn't <laughs> like he retire. won't. <laughs> he I mean, it is quite admirable to, like... Because, obviously, you know, Roger obviously loves tennis. But since he's retired, he's done so many things, you know? Like, he was at the Met Gala. I... I, I... I, I wouldn't see Andy Murray as the type to fit in at the Met Gala. No, I don't think he's that... Yeah, he's he's interested in that. But then, like, it's really endearing that he's so, like, such a tennis player that he's, like, probably just going to dedicate his life to tennis, even if it, like, kills him. <laughs> because 
is he like physically fit enough to like keep doing this at 40 or whatever i don't know all right he's not 40 yet but i I, i'm i'm happy i'm i'm happy to enjoy andy murray whilst we still can because he does give us some entertainment like definitely who did not love his uh little run in australia (laughs) no i love watching him play not gonna lie i think that match against kokonakis has to be my favorite match of the year so far really come on coming back from two sets down and then winning it it was great yeah it it gave him the record for like the most comebacks from two sets down <laughs> which is the most annie murray record to have it, it really is yeah when you think about and then it, it but he went on this like really extended run at the start of the year didn't he where basically you didn't win a match unless he lost the first set yeah it was i mean yeah that can't that can't be good for his body as well no it's It's, but i mean he's clearly enjoying it so oh yeah no he he loves it i've never seen anyone love suffering and, and and like just (laughs) <laughs> other people in that situation would hate it yeah i think i, like... I, I, I think if you get and give andy murray a choice between winning a grand slam match in straight sets six four six four six four for example <laughs> or having to come back from two sets down maybe with a couple of tie breaks and then winning in the fifth he yeah. would be like he would take that option definitely that is very him. He wants the... He doesn't like the yeah. easy way. Um, Murray faces Fanini in the first round of Rome. So that should be fun. Mm. Um, always fun. Bearing in mind... Yeah, no, bearing in mind, one of the funniest moments on a tennis court was in 2019 when they played in Shanghai and Murray just shouts at Fanini, shut up. <laughs> Honestly... Fonini is one of these players nobody likes, isn't he? Yeah. He's, it, so basically, Murray accused Fonini of hindrance. Like, he had a volley over the net, and then at the same time, Fonini was supposed to have, like, shouted something. Oh. And then they get into a whole argument, and it was a really funny argument. <laughs> um, it was really entertaining. If you've not seen it... Watch it on I YouTube. Remember. It is brilliant. It is like <laughs> the perfect bit of aggro in a tennis match. Um, so finally, and so carrying on with Rome, finally, for the first time this year, Djokovic and Alcaraz are in the same draw. Ooh. It's the first time they're Is that the first the time? Tennis. Jesus. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously both would have to make a final, play each other. Um, but you that's not necessarily out of the question because one of them has won 22 grand slams in their career and the other one is carlos alcaraz who seems to be getting to every final of every tournament he plays apart from miami of course (laughs) for some reason i've written down as a question when i was previewing rome will casper rude win a match probably not but you know hold out hope he seems like a nice guy (laughs) One thing that did surprise me is Badossa's not seeded anymore. Oh, really? Yeah, she's now yeah. high enough ranked to be seeded. And she faces a qualifier in the first round. And the winner of that gets to play on Jabur. So please give us Badossa versus Jabur in the second round. But then the problem is, I when I've been like when I've looked back on some of like of my notes where I've like picked out sort of potentially exciting matches sort of later on in a tournament they've literally never happened mm. every match like future match that we potentially get excited for yeah. has never happened is that why you're so upset about the possible quarterfinals in rome rabatkina is in sriontek's quarter so really please give us that on uh clay that'd be fun i'm still surprised that kostjuk is seeded who? It's like I'm always surprised that uh, Marta Kostyuk. But it's like I'm permanently surprised that Kasatkina is like 
always in the top 10 like how where are you getting these points from yeah. when are you getting these points i guess where it's is... because it's always so random that doesn't matter yeah like what tournaments are you having deep <laughs> runs in i've never seen it <laughs> and then yeah no it was just really hard when i was going through the draws to actually get excited for anything because once again we've got one of these um week and a half long tournaments where this all the seeded players get a bye so there's like very few exciting matchups the only really exciting one, I think, is Murray Fanini in both the ATP and WTA side. But I just feel like at the moment it's a bit just sort of old man yells at cloud when it comes to these week and hard on tournaments. Because why are they happening? They're bad. <laughs> they make the tennis annoying to watch. Anyway, should we just make some predictions for Rome? Do you want to know my rogue one for the um, ATP side? Let's hear it. I don't think uh, Alcaraz will win. Um, okay. I don't think Djokovic will win. Okay. I'm picking Daniel Medvedev. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Mm. Which I think is quite rogue, considering his uh, attitudes towards the surface. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's quite rogue. Um can't even remember who's half of the draw he's in let's have a quick look so he is in Alcaraz's half of the draw oh. we'd have to play him in a semi-final if we're expecting Alcaraz to get to the semi-final yeah I don't know I feel like I feel like Alcaraz won't win but I I don't, I don't know who to pick <laughs> maybe Rublev oh. okay Rublev makes I sense I got Rublev because he, he's playing method well He's, he's possibly playing Medvedev in the quarterfinals, I think. So that'd be fun to watch. Yeah. Uh, Rome, I'm just going to go with Sviantec. That's easy. That's safe. Playing it safe. Well, I've already just picked someone who <laughs> openly hates the surface. Oh, yeah. World Rome number two or three. I don't know what he is right now. He's won number three. <laughs> no, it's like I think I think it's a rogue prediction. Because the reason why he is a high rank is because hard courts exist. Should I go Savalinka just to mix it up? <laughs> well no, oh, yeah. she, she just What won, a brave though. prediction. You've predicted she just the won. world number yeah, two. Yeah, but she's not a clay person. You she's not a clay person, she's just won Madrid. Yeah, being in the Stuttgart I know, final. She's not she's you know she's not she's not clay uh, as ego is. You're talking nonsense. Who should I pick? Is there an Italian playing? What well, the WCA side, highest rank Italian is Martina Trevisan, I expect. Mm. Is Jessica Bigula playing? She's not Italian. I know, but <laughs> I like her. <laughs> Jessica Bagula's playing. She is in Sabalenka's half of the draw. Oh, I'll go with her then. Now we've discussed Rome. Now we've made our predictions. So just to reiterate our predictions, I'm going Daniel Medvedev and Iga Swiatek. You're going Jessica Pagula and Daniel Medvedev. No, Rublev. Rublev, yeah. Rublev and Pagula, Medvedev and Swiatek. Uh I think the most likely, if it's if we're going to say two of those four win, will it be Swiatek and Rublev? Yeah, totally. I think Spiantic um, is the only one that's like very possible. But yeah, other news, bad news for British tennis fans. Raducanu is now out of the clay and grass court season, having three surgeries, both wrists and an ankle. Obviously, wish her well. Hopefully back stronger and with a bit of consistency. That'd be nice. <laughs> and obviously... You may have guessed, or you probably already know, because if you listen to this, you follow tennis news, I expect. And obviously, we didn't mention his name when previewing Rome. Rafa Nadal is out of Rome. Supposedly still practicing, and his um, update video seemed a bit more optimistic than the last one. So hopefully, he's mm. going to make Roland Garros. Otherwise, uh, it 
will potentially be a bit of a disappointing trip to Roland Garros for me. I think if he's going to make anything, it's going to be Roland Garros. Like I know, I really want him to play in the year. If it's... we're literally there for over a week because we want to see Nadal. <laughs> That's so sad. I mean, I'm sure if if he's like healthy enough, he will play. Well, I need to see. I need to try and see the big three before they all retire. I saw Federer. I need to see Nadal and Djokovic. I want to see Andy Murray as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because I, 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 I never, I never saw Serena play. That would have been good. You'll probably see um, Murray though. Like you, you can, you can watch him, catch him in like three years. <laughs> Yeah, no, Murray. No, Murray in about 20 years time, I'll be able to catch him at, yeah. like a local in like the local yeah, tennis league still playing. <laughs> still absolutely killing him. Trying to be against... kids in parks or something. <laughs> I'll, I'll just look out my, my back window where there's some tennis courts in a park and I'll just see Andy Murray standing there challenging people to play him at tennis. Doing five setters, like just for fun. Doing five setters whilst going around the court holding a walking stick. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, yeah, hopefully Nadal makes Roland Garros. I really want him to because I'm going there. Um, I'm sure he will. But yeah, uh, we've now just reached over an hour of audio. There's certain sections of this episode that I think I'm going to cut out. So uh, this isn't going to be an hour long. Um, I do apologize because this is going to have gone out later than it usually has, because uh, by the time I start editing it, uh, I would have finished a, another day of work. So it's just going to be a little bit later than what I got used to being able to do when I was unemployed. Um <laughs> But yeah, thank you very much for listening. This has been episode 14 of Unseated. Um, Remember, we have a Twitter account at UnseatedPod. There is an email address in the bio of that Twitter account. And yes, please subscribe to us on whatever podcast platform you are listening to us on. And leave us a favourable rating. Before we absolutely sign off, because we can never do this smoothly, anything else you want to mention? No, I think everything's been said. Good. <laughs> Thank Goodbye. you for watching or listening. Not watching. Listening. Nobody wants to watch us. Well, maybe not you. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye.